Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Uh, Romans. We're in the book of Romans. We've been studying the book of Romans, and uh, we're going week by week. We're going to be about week eight. We're going to be here for a while. Don't worry about it. But I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter three this morning. And as you're turning there, I'll remind you, I always remind people, but now we'd love for you to have a hard copy of a Bible. I know a lot of you look it up on your phones anymore. I'm old, and so there's, I'm just attached to the, I want to touch it, and I want to turn pages. But it's nice. You can just scribble notes, and, and it's just always uh, front of your mind. So Romans chapter Three. If you, uh, I'm sorry, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a hard copy, we've bought them. And they're out in the lobby. They're on high top tables. You just take one. That's just uh, yours. For the, that's our gift to you. Just be sure we have them in English and Spanish. Make sure you get the right language. Okay? Uh, Romans chapter 3, if you have it, let's stand to our feet as we read this. And again, just a reminder for new people, if you're newer here, uh, we don't up down the whole morning. But when we read our primary text, it's just an exercise we like to do. We like to stand. And it's a reminder that this is God's word. We want to hear from God. This is the primary way that we hear from God. So follow along as I read. I'm starting in verse 9, Romans chapter 3. Paul speaking then says, well then... Should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, he says, not at all. For we've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Verse 19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Let's pray. As we go to pray, I'm just going to ask you to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. That's why we've really come this morning is to worship God and to hear from God. And so I'm going to give you a second. You ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So, Lord, we desperately want to hear from you this morning. We've opened your word. We've, we've worshipped you, and now we've opened your word. And, and uh, we're, we're desperately wanting to hear. And, and uh, we know that you're here. Your presence is here. Your word says that we're, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. We, we know that you're here. We're grateful for that, God. We're, we're thankful for your presence. And now, Lord, speak. Speak to us. What is it you're wanting to say And I would say, God, what is it you're wanting to say to us as a body? And what is it that you're wanting to say to each individual specifically into their life right now, wherever they're at, wherever they've come from? God, I know that we come from all different walks of life and different situations. And I'm praying that you'll speak into those. Reveal yourself to us, God. We're grateful for your presence. We're grateful to be in your presence. And we're anxious. We're excited to hear from you, Lord, this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, Do this for me. 
If you've raised kids, if you've raised kids, raise your hands. Raise your hands. Keep your hands up if you still have any hair. <laughs> Two hands were left up. That's all right. And so here's the deal. Some of you are like me. I didn't raise kids. But I was a kid, and I know what it's like to be a kid. And I know, and I know that sometimes we, we see kids, and we see what they do, and we just wonder, like, what, what were they thinking? Uh, I, I have, uh, I've said this before, I have an older sister, an older brother, and myself, and between the three of us, total between the three of us, there are about 20, 27 months between the three. So my mother had three kids under three. She's, she's just losing her marbles most of the time. And we had a couple situations like this, and I remember about three events where this happened. Was that during the day, all three kids did something ridiculous. And so now we're in about kindergarten, first grade, second grade, the three of us are. And it's been one of those days. Every kid did something crazy. My sister, uh, the oldest, she sassed my mom. And I don't mean just like, hey, a little something casual. Like my sister sassed my mom to the extent that I was starting to do the math and figure out what's it going to be like to have just one sibling. My brother, uh, my brother got into a fight with kids at school and I broke a window on purpose. It was not received the way that I had intended. I don't know what happened. And so now my father comes home. My father always gets home at about quarter after five and three little kids and we're all playing outside. My father comes home. He goes into the house. He has a talk, I'm assuming, with my mother. And my, mother, my father calls everybody into the house. And we all sit in the living room. And my father's just looking at us like he can't figure it out. And eventually he, he just kind of says, what is going on? And, and it's kind of the thing about like, what were you people thinking? And really, I think what, what, what parents wonder at that moment is they're like, what's really at the heart of this? Like, what, what's really at the heart of this, do you know? And there are nights anymore where I can turn on the TV, I can grab a newspaper, and I see one more shooting, and I see one more bombing, and I see one more child abducted, and I think to myself, what is going on? And what's at the heart of this? Paul's going to tell us. Paul's going to tell you and me today. He's going to tell us what's going on. And here's the thing. It's going to feel so depressing for a while, and you're like, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure why I got up today. And by the time we get done, I believe for a lot of people here, it will be one of the most encouraging days you've had. And I would say this, because I know our, 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 our group here is, is very vast. And so some of you walk in here and you say, I've been going to church all my life. I've committed my life to Christ. I've surrendered my life to Christ. I've been following Jesus for as long as I can remember. I'm saying for you today, I think there will be a new glimpse of encouragement. And I also know the other end of the spectrum, there's some of you folks who who went to church and you walked away from church. You've been hurt by the church and you don't care for the church, but you came into the church this morning. And I believe God's going to encourage you and speak a word to you. And I believe that there are some folks who've walked into the building this morning and said, I've never called myself a Christian. I don't, I don't call myself a Christian. I don't call myself a follower of Jesus. I'm curious, that's for sure. That's why I walked in here this morning. Or maybe I tuned in online this morning, but I'm curious. And I'm saying, I, I believe there's a great word for you. Before we leave, I believe God is going to speak encouragement to you. And I, I believe maybe God has something new for us. So we're going to look at this passage. Now we're in the book of Romans. And remember this, that Romans is a letter. Think of it like a letter. And the Apostle Paul, the 
Apostle Paul, everybody. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. He's never been there. He's not going to get there for another three years. But he starts out by introducing himself and greeting them and saying, man, you're are, are killing. I've heard about you folks from all over the world. People hear about you. This is an amazing church. And then later in chapter one, he gets to just the, the depravity of sin. And, and he starts going on in chapter two. And what's really interesting is because he's writing to the church at Rome, he's writing to both Jews and non-Jews, or what we'd say Jews and Gentiles. He's writing to both. But when he gets later into chapter 2, he starts to narrow his audience down a bit. And now and later in chapter 2, he's just talking specifically to Jews. And he said a couple crazy things to the Jews. He said, hey, just so you know, I know you have the Jewish law, the, 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 Old, the Old Testament scriptures. But just so you know, just knowing that, that in and of itself will never make you right with God. And they just gasp, right? And then Paul says, and by the way, this circumcision thing, the hallmark of Judaism, right? He says this circumcision, being circumcised, that's never going to make you right with God. And then last week we got into chapter three. And what Paul's doing in chapter three is he goes into this diatribe we talked about where he's literally having a conversation all by himself. And what he's doing is he knows he's saying some stark and, and, and dramatic things for the Jews. And so what he's doing in part is he's posing the question and then he's answering it himself. He knows they're asking those questions in his head and he doesn't want to lose his audience. So he's going to say those things out loud. So if you remember this in chapter three, verse one, he said this, well, then what's the advantage? If following the Jewish law, if doing that and knowing it, if that doesn't make me right with God, and if circumcision doesn't do any, anything to, to make me right with God, what's the whole point? Is there any value? Is there any advantage of it? And you remember he came back in the next verse and he said this, well, yeah, there's a lot of benefits to being a Jew. For, for starters, he said, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. You have the Jewish scriptures. You have the Torah. You have the prophets. You have all that. You were entrusted with all that. You, you, you had the revelation of God. Right, so he answered that. And now when we get into our passage today in verse 9, he's going to pose another question. And he says, well then, should we actually conclude that we're better than everybody else? If I'm a Jew, do we conclude that we're better than others? And part of what he's saying here is, are we better off? When it comes to a relationship with God, when it comes to eternity, when, when it comes to who we are, are we actually better off than everybody else? And Paul goes on and he says, not at all. He says, we've already shown, what Paul is really saying is, I've already written to you before. I've already shown you that all people, Jews and Gentiles, all people, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, are under, this is a very important phrase. I'd underline this in my Bible. We're under the power of sin. This phrase, under the power of sin, it's, it's, this under is a, is a military term. And it means to be under the authority of. It's like a, an officer up here would, would have this officer down here. And this officer down here is under the authority. Whatever this officer basically says, this officer does. We're, we're under, apart from Christ, know this, apart from Christ, we're under the authority of sin. We, we're under the power of sin. Like I, I say this all the time, and I don't know how to break this to everybody, but Adam and Eve did bite into the apple. They ate the apple. And that wasn't just them eating the apple. That was actually sin. That was disobedience. It was blatant disobedience to God. God had said, eat of anything you want, not that tree. He was very clear. And when they ate that, boom, think about this. There had never been sin. And that was the first sin. And because of that, sin didn't just enter the world. It entered us. And so everybody who's born now, I don't care who you are. I hate, I hate to break this to you. You were born under sin. And apart from Christ, we are under the authority of sin. And then Paul goes on to be Daniel Caffey. <laughs> you remember this? Few good men. 
You could be Matlock if, you if you'd rather have Matlock, if you'd rather have Perry Mason. I just like this because I like the intensity of Kathy. And Paul is going into Kathy mode now. And he's going to play the role of a litigating attorney. And you're going to see Paul make this powerful argument. And the argument is against us apart from Christ. And the, part, the argument is against all who are under sin. That's what he's doing now. Now watch what he says. For the scriptures say, as the scriptures say. In other words, I'm a litigating attorney. I'm not just giving you my opinion. That's what Paul is saying. As the scripture. He's got authority behind this because he says, as the scripture. And then he's going to go on and he's, and he's going to quote about eight passages from the Old Testament. He's going to go to, to Psalm 4 and Psalm 10 and Psalm 14 and Psalm 36. And he's going to get to Psalm 140. And he's going to go to Isaiah 59. He's going to quote scripture. This is not me making it up. This is not Paul making it up. Paul is saying, this is what the scriptures say. And he's, and he, and he's making this point that, hey, we're all under sin. We're all under sin. Okay, now the litigator, he's made his thesis statement. Now the litigator steps up. He's quoting from the Old Testament and he's making his point. And he starts out with this. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is righteous. No one is right with God. No one. And this word no one, is, it's redundant just in itself because it means absolutely no one. Not possibly anyone. And so he says, no one, absolutely no one is righteous. Absolutely not even one. He's just beating this thing into the ground to let us know this. There's nobody. There is nobody born uh, under heaven who is right with God. You're, you're, you're not. Apart from Christ, you are not right. So, so pretty much just FYI, we're covering everyone in the room here today. No one is right with God. And then he continues, and he'll quote another psalm. No one, it's that same word, absolutely no one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. No one understands God. You're born under sin. You're born into sin. You're under the authority of sin apart from Christ. You don't even pursue God. You don't think about God. Paul keeps going and he says, all, here it is again, all have turned away. This, this word means intentionally. You've intentionally deviated and it means this. You are intentionally avoiding something or someone good. That's what he's saying here. Under sin, under the authority of sin, apart from Christ, you have all intentionally turned away from God and you become useless because we're not useful for God, right? As long as we're under the curse of sin, as long as we're under the authority of sin or the power of sin, no one does good, not a single one. And then Paul's going to switch modes here for just a minute. He says this. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And Paul just went from litigating attorney to your personal doctor. That's who Paul is playing now. He went physician. Paul walked over. He's got his white jacket. He walked over. He grabs a tongue depressor. He walks back to you. He says, open your mouth and stick your tongue out. And the whole room just went, ah. And Paul sticks the tongue depressor in there. And he literally says this, look at how filthy it is in your mouth. Your talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Your tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from your lips. Your mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. This is how we are under sin, under the curse of sin, apart from Christ. This is what we are. This is how we are. This is who we are. And then he continues. He says, they rush to commit murder. Apart from Christ, when we're under sin, we, we, we're eager. We're eager to do it. 
Do you notice, like, you don't have to teach this? Do you notice you don't have to teach this to small children? Do you know how, how this is? Like, kids are playing along, and everything's good, and all of a sudden, the one kid takes the other kid's stuffed doll, and that kid immediately goes, I hate you! I hate you! Like, this is how we're born. This, this is how we are, apart from Christ, because we're under the authority of sin. Apart from Christ, that's exactly who we are. It's what we are. It's how we are. And then he says this, destruction and misery always, always follow them. It, it always has. It always will. It's the curse of sin. It's from being under sin. And apart from Christ, it's how we are. Uh, you would know like uh, the Greek poet, Homer, right? It was about 8th century BC, something like that. And Homer wrote a poem, he wrote a song. It was about uh, the destruction of Troy, the city of Troy. And he talked about how the city of Troy is built on ruins. And since he sang that song, like in about 8th century BC, they found seven more ruins that were under that ruin. And it just speaks how this is how man has always been. We've always been like this. Why? Because we were born into sin. We're born under the curse of sin. This is how we are apart from Christ. He has another one. He says, they don't know where to find peace. And the interesting thing is here that what Paul is talking about is it's not that we don't know how to find peace with God. We don't. But here Paul is saying, you don't even know how to find peace with each other. You people can't get along together. You, for as long, about uh, uh, four or five years ago, I talked to a buddy who had just come back from Europe. And while they were in Europe, they were in Germany. And while they were in Germany, they toured uh, the concentration camps. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Auschwitz. You know someone who's a survivor, right? And so he had just come back from Auschwitz, and he was trying to describe it to me. He's like, man, he goes, I, I, I can hardly talk. He said, I can't even explain it. He said, we walked into the showers where human, human life was extinguished. Like, we walked into those showers, and they gassed them there. And then he said, we walked into the incinerators where they burned human bodies. He said, we saw the, the most unbelievable, he says, I, I can hardly explain it. He said, there are these like chimney type of structures. And they have this opening in the bottom. These are like these big brick chimney type things. And he said, they would have people two at a time. You would strip down and then you had to get on the ground. You had to crawl under them. And then you could get in and you had to stand up because that's all there was room for. And he said they put two men in there at a time. And then once they get them in there, they, they brick it up to seal off any air. And he said they would just stand in there and eventually they'd suffocate. And he said we walked into rooms and we saw 20, 20 feet high stacks of eyeglasses that they've pulled off of, of, human, of human bodies before they killed them. And he said, we walked into rooms that were full of hair, human hair, and they would make rugs out of them. And they would sell them at the highest price, and people in that particular time were buying them. And he said, we walked into rooms where they had taken the gold out of people's teeth, and they were stacked there, and then they took that, and they sold it to factories where it's melted down, and jewelry was made, and people would buy it. Yeah, people don't know how to find peace with people, and they never have. 
And the reason is because we're under the curse of sin, because we're under the authority of sin, because we were born into sin, because Adam and Eve ate the apple, sin entered the world, and sin entered us. And then Paul continues, and he said, obviously the law, now, I always feel like I need to explain this, because if if you're not a church person, and and we say law, he's not talking about governmental law. He's not talking about, uh, to to these people, he's not talking about what kind of taxes you have to pay or how fast your camel can run. He's not talking about governmental law, right? He's talking about the Jewish law, the Torah. That's what he's talking about. And he said, obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given. Who's he talking about? It's Jews, first of all. It certainly applies to Jews. For its purpose is. Now, this is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the purpose of the law? What is the purpose of the law? Why do we have it? Because a lot, at that time, a lot of Jews thought, well, we have the law, and that makes us right with God. And that would be a common thought. And if you're a Gentile here in this morning, which is most of us, right, you might think that, like, yeah, they had the law, and the law is to make them right with God. Now, listen to what Paul says. For its purpose, the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to keep people, this is one, it's to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty. That's number one. The law was actually given so that no one would have an excuse. God has revealed himself. He's told you, right? So that's one. They they have no excuse. But the other thing he says, no one then, no one again, can ever be made right with God. There's There's our phrase again, being right with God. By doing what the law commands. And here he gives a second purpose. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law was never intended to bring salvation. The law was never intended to make people right with God. That wasn't the purpose of the law. Strange thought for a lot of people, but the law was given so that we would understand how desperately sinful we are. The law was given so that we could understand that we can't do this thing on our own. That's all. The law was given to show us that we're sinners, that, 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 that we can't be right with God in and of our own. And so Paul's just spent a lot of time, man, as, as Captain Kathy, he was just raining down this and you're under sin and the terrible things. And we could read this and walk away feeling really terrible about our sinfulness because it's true of all of us. All that was just read, everything that this litigating attorney just said, the argument that was just made is absolutely 100% true of every single person in this room, online. If you watch this three months from now, it's true of all of us. Like That's who we are. Apart from Christ, that's absolutely 100% who we are. And then he says this, but now, oh, wait a minute. You're saying there's a then and a now? You're saying maybe that's how we were? Like I read this and I go, you're saying there's a chance. Right? Ah, but he says, but now God has shown us a way, here it is, to be made right. And we've called this series, you know, Right with God. Because that's what Paul constantly talks about. How are we right with God? What makes us right with God? How can we possibly be made right with God? And especially when you just... You just heard this attorney going off on this rant about every single person in this room and who we are. Ah, But here's the deal. Now, now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. And it doesn't really involve the law. It doesn't involve keeping the law. That's not how we're made right ultimately. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets, this would have been their scriptures, the law and the prophets. Right? God has actually shown us a way. 
We're made right with God by. Now, this is one of those, man, if I have my phone, I'm taking notes. I'm making notes. I'm writing notes. Because things weren't right with us. We weren't right with God. There was no peace between us and God. And you may have been going about your business and not thinking about it much, but we're not right with God. We can't be right with God. There's nothing we can do. And that's the craziest thing. There's nothing. You can't just go do something. I'm not right with God. Well, is there, is there something that I can buy? Is there some, some kind of kit? Is there some kind of YouTube thing that I can, you know? And he says, no, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Well, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem right, does it? I mean, shouldn't we, have to, shouldn't we have to do something? Shouldn't we have to? No. This is the beauty of it. This is the mystery of Christianity. Faith is a mystery. And I always say this, and I know I've said it a million times, but the first place I go when I get to heaven, I'm headed to the info booth. I got questions. Some of this stuff just doesn't make sense to me, and it doesn't make sense as humans, right? Like, we just think, no. We, you remember the old, the old TV commercials, We Make Money? I forget what the, the company was. We Make Money the old-fashioned way we... We earn it. And we feel great about that, don't we? And we think the same thing about our faith. We think the same thing about salvation. It's, just, it's a gift. It's free. Really? That's it? And he says when we place our faith. And we talked about this word. So let me just elaborate because we talked about it last week. So if you weren't here last week, I'll just touch on it again. But this is the Greek word pistis. And pistis doesn't just mean a cognitive moment in time. Oh, I, I believe that. Do you know the scripture tells us even the demons believe there's God? Even the demons believe that. The demons don't go to heaven. It's not just like, hmm, I understand that. I do believe there is a God. Even the demons believe that. This is faith. This is belief. This is pistis. This is trust. This is allegiance. This is devotion. This is faithfulness. And, and I'll say it again because I said it last week, but I just think it bears repeating the illustration that I always use is the guy who was in New York City and he's a tightrope walker and he wants to walk the tightrope and he's trying to make a name for himself. And so he gets a crowd gathered and he says, I'm going to put this rope up between two buildings and I'm going to walk across it. How many of you think I can do it? Yes, yes, yes. And everybody cheers. And sure enough, he strings the rope up between two tall skyscrapers and he's way above the streets and he walks across and everybody cheers. And he has a wheelbarrow there and he says, I'm going to push this wheelbarrow. How many of you think I could push this wheelbarrow? Yes, yes, yes. We believe it. And sure enough, off he goes and he pushes a wheelbarrow across and he says I can actually put a person in the wheelbarrow and push it across. How many of you believe I can do that? Yes, yes, yes. And he said I need a volunteer. Crickets, nobody. Because that would be pistis. Because that would be real trust. See, real trust is you getting in the wheelbarrow. That's what it is. Real trust is you saying, hey, I, I, I confess my sins. I acknowledge I'm a sinner, and now I'm going to place myself in the wheelbarrow. And you know what I'm going to do tomorrow morning when I wake up? I'm going to get back in the wheelbarrow. And you know what I'm going to do when my life is really good and I seem to have it all figured, up, figured out? Uh -uh. I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. And you know what I'm going to do when life sucks? I'm getting in the wheelbarrow. And I'm saying, I trust you, God. See, that's faith, that's allegiance, that's devotion, that's trust, that's pistis. That's what it means to be a Christian. We're so confused today about what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a, a Christian. It means to place your faith in Jesus. It means every day you get up and you get in the wheelbarrow. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Now you say, well, Neil, that's great. Um, you have no idea what I've done. 
And I, I, I'm not even sure I could tell you because I'm so embarrassed. And I've done some of the most horrific things. And I would say, hmm, maybe we better talk. Because maybe this doesn't apply to you. Because the way it sounds to me like you should, you should place your faith in Christ, but you should, you should try to be really good. And you should come from the right family. That's what I would think. This is what Paul says. This is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are. No matter what you've done. Because sometimes we exclude ourselves from the formula, don't we? We just say, well, that couldn't apply to me. I've got a terrible past. You have no idea what I've done. Hey, you don't know what anybody in this room has done. And I bet if we passed a mic around and had a moment of honesty, we could have some stories. <laughs> and things that we'd be embarrassed about. And things that we're ashamed of and maybe still today. And Paul says, mm-mm, mm-mm. You place your faith in Christ, you're made right with God. And that's true for everybody who believes. Everybody who, this is pistis again, who trusts. Everybody who gets in the wheelbarrow, no matter who we are. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And so I'm going to give you the big so what today. Just so you get the picture. The big so what is this. Jesus greater than sin. Doesn't matter what your sin is. Doesn't matter what you've done. None of that stuff matters. You come to a point where you confess. I'm just, I'm just telling you this. You need to hear this. Some of you need to hear it because you've never even considered it. And I'm just telling you right now, you, place, you confess your sin and you place your faith in Christ. And you are right with God, as hard as that is for us to believe. And some of you need to hear it because you've been a Christian, you've been following Christ for a long time. But you still hold back because you feel guilty, because you feel shame. Here's the beauty of Jesus. Because of Jesus, who you were isn't who you are. And who you are isn't, isn't who you have to be. Like everything can change. Everything can change in a moment, in a moment, in a moment. Now, now we, we study this, and we talk about the big so what, and then I always try to think, how do we apply this? And I'll just be really honest with you. When I plan this sermon, I call it total depravity, and there's part of me that wants to call this message smelly kid. And so I'll tell you the story. Just, just after I got out of college, uh, I got introduced to cycling, and I loved it. It just clicked for me right away. I love, now, I don't mountain bike. Uh, mountain bike is, is very technical, and that, that never worked for me. But road cycling, and I've talked to you a couple about this, because I know some of you cycle, and I just like getting together with three or four guys, and you just go. And I don't ride much anymore. I've got my bike on a trainer in the basement. It's okay, you know. But it just worked for me. And uh, so uh, I got started cycling, and then it was probably about 10 years later, and, you know, we have membership at the gym, I don't have to explain that to you. You could tell that. And so, <laughs> welcome to my world, you know. And so, and so at the gym at that time, uh, these classes were just starting. They were just, I went to the first ever. They had, a, they had a cycling class. They had a spin class at our gym. And I went to the first one that they ever had at our gym. And I was like, it's the middle of winter. You sit on your, on your bike on a trainer in the basement. It's just boring. You know what I mean? And I went, this cycling class thing, this is awesome, and I love this. And they were just getting it started, and they were talking about, hey, they're going to need people to teach these classes, and they were doing training for it and everything, and I was like, I, I, I'm just saying, man, I, love, I know I always tease about being the lead worship pastor, but I love music. Music works for me. Like, I just feel music. I love it, right? And so I said, oh, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to do this. And so about 25 years ago, I started teaching classes at the gym, and, and I taught for 20 years. I, I taught spin at the gym, and I loved it. There are people in this room. I met you at the gym before I ever met you here. There are a few of you here. 
And there are a few people in this room that I've ridden with. Like, it just works for me. So I always had classes at the gym. And I had, I had early morning, usually early morning classes. And I had a, I had a Tuesday morning at 5.45. It's bright and early. Everybody, before they go to work, I had a 5.45 class. And then I Saturday, for the longest time, I had a Saturday morning class at 8 o'clock, which is a little early for a Saturday, you know, but... I love it. I like to be there early. I want to get there at 7 o'clock. I want to make sure my studio is set up right. And I want to have music going. And I want to set the atmosphere. And then I'm there at 7, right? And so I'm drinking coffee. And I'm drinking. People, folks are coming in. And they're grabbing a couple. of Folks get there early. And we chat. And we talk. And we chat. And we talk. And it's great. And then it's about 5 minutes to 8. 5 minutes to 8. Strap on the shoes. All right, we got to go on 8 o'clock. Boom, let's go. And we start. And we, and we warm up. And we start warming up. And folks start breathing just a little bit, right? And it's starting to just break a little bit of a sweat. And now we're a song in. We're two songs in. We're three songs in. And folks are, they're lathered up. They're ready to work. So on this particular day, I think, okay, all right. We're, we're gonna, this is what we're going to do this song. We're going to go really hard. We're going to go really hard. And so now I, I get off my bike. And the class is set up in this, like, kind of horseshoe thing. And there's two rows. There's 50 bikes, 50 people. It's always full, right? 50 bikes. And so I'm thinking this song, we're going to work real hard. We're going to work real hard. So I get off my bike now because I like to mock and ridicule people up close. And so I'm going to walk around and, right? And so we're, we're doing sets of 16 and we're counting down. And I say, all right, let's go. Everybody clamps down. They tuck down and they're just going. They're just going hair on fire, right? And you count down from 16. And by the time you get to about eight, thighs are on fire. People are breathing hard. They're gasping for air. So now I'm going to walk into the crowd. And I'm going like to start coaching people and encouraging people, right? So I go, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's go eight, seven. And I walk into the bikes like this. And as soon as I walk into the bikes, I hit this funk. It is unbelievable. Like, I have Smelly Kid in class right here, and I don't know who it is, and I can't see, but I'm like, ooh. So we're like, four, three, two, and I'm like, that, that, that side of the room has been encouraged enough. I'm leaving that, right? So I walk back in the middle, and now for 16, we're going to recover. We're recovering. I right, catch your breath, catch your breath, catch your breath. I say, we're going again. We can do this again. Are you ready? Let's go. And so they, they turn it down, and they drop down, and they're starting to work hard. We're 16. We're going for 16. And again, about the time you get to eight, Right? Thighs are on fire. Folks are breathing. They're just gasping for air. And so I say, okay, I got I to gotta coach them up. I gotta, so I step into the crowd. I'm like, come on, eight more. Let's go, seven. And as soon as I step in again, oh, like I got two smelly kids in class on the same. It is thick. And I'm thinking, what on earth, right? And so we count it down, three, two, one. And I step back in the middle. I'm like, we're doing one more set, but I'm not even going to find out if there's a smelly kid in the back. So I go back to get on my bike. Right? So I'm like, catch your breath, catch your breath. You got 16, catch your breath. We're okay. And so we're going to get ready to go again. I said, all right, last set, last set, let's go. We clamp down and we're going to go. I reach my arms forward and I tuck down to push. I'm smelly kid. It's me. I've been the smelly kid the whole time. And the crazy thing is everybody knew it. Everybody knew, and I'm smelly kid, and I don't know what happened because I got up because I like to be there early, and so I went screaming out of the house that morning, and I didn't put on any deodorant, right? And yes, exactly, like I'm smelly kid, and so now I don't know what to do because there's nothing I can do about it because we're not done with class, and I try riding with my arms in, you know, and I try to, I don't know what to do, and then class gets over, and class is over, and people want to come up talk, and they chat, 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 I'm like, hey, no, hey, it was a good Saturday, and I'm doing this thing, right? And all I could think about was getting to the shower. And so now, finally, I get out of class, and I got my big bag there, and I grab my bag, and I throw it over my shoulders, and I head to the locker room. I have never been so excited 
to shower. I've never been so grateful for shower. I've never been so grateful for deodorant. I didn't even rub it on. I just swallowed it. I didn't know what to do. Hey, fun fact, if you do that about twice a year, you're good. It's all good. I've never been so grateful. And so here's what I would say, <laughs> just in all fun this morning, I would say this, how do we apply this? Here's what I think. I think there's some of you who are here for the first time ever, you've heard this, and you didn't even recognize that. You didn't know you were in sin. You weren't aware of it. Let me just tell you, God's been aware of it the whole time. God knew. God knew the whole time. He's known. And he's just, he's waiting for you. God's just waiting. He, he knows about it. He's just waiting for you to know about it. God was just, you may not have ever known that, that you were that far from God. And it's all possible, man. Forgiveness of sin, confess your sin, and then jump in the wheelbarrow. And I, and I don't say take that lightly. It's a big deal. But the second group is this. I think there's some of you this morning, you've been Christians for a long, long time, and we kind of forgot. We forgot how far away we were from God. We forgot how sinful we were. And because of that, you know what? We're not that grateful anymore. We've lost that joy, and we've lost the gratitude. Have we forgotten what God saved us from? Have we forgotten how, how just desperate we were, how vile we were, and yet now by confessing our sins and placing our faith in Christ, by putting our life in the wheelbarrow day after day after day, you are right with God. And I'm saying right now, you have eternal life. Right now, you have eternal life right now. Have we lost that? Have we forgotten about it? Have we gotten about, forgotten about the grace of God? Have we forgotten how good he is that he could possibly forgive that? As vile as we were, there's nothing we could do. We couldn't possibly do anything of, an our, uh, of our own selves. There's, there's nothing we could do. We simply said, Jesus, when we placed our faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We certainly thank you for your goodness, God. We rejoice this morning. We celebrate. We say thank you, thank you, thank you, God Almighty. Thank you that you made a way. Your plan from the very beginning, God, you knew Adam and Eve were going to eat the apple. You knew that we'd be under the authority of sin. And from the very beginning, from before time began, you made a plan. You were going to make us right. And in order for that to happen, God, you had to send your own son your own son was going to have to suffer and die. And that's the way you chose. There had to be a sacrifice. You chose your own son. God, we say thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you did for us. We're grateful.